Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I believe that it is a very difficult task for us today to understand and appreciate the feelings of animosity and hatred that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century and how life-altering it was when they began to work and worship together in the church of our Lord Jesus the Christ. First of all, there was the special status of the Jews as the nation chosen by God because of the faithfulness of Abraham to be the people through whom the Messiah would come. God had chosen Israel and blessed them with privileges and blessings that had not been given to other nations. This fact was emphasized by the covenant token of circumcision and the Jews took great pride in it. It represented their special place with God. Also to the Jews had been committed the oracles of God, the written revelation of the Old Testament. Paul referred to that in Romans chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 when he wrote, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were monotheistic, believers in one God. The Gentiles were polytheistic pagans for the most part, who did not accept the God of the Jews, nor did they generally live the moral life that the Jews were exhorted to live by the old law. This was a separation, an animosity that was practiced with actions and expressed with words. Perhaps the only way we can begin to appreciate it is by looking at the prejudices and barriers that exist in our world today. We erect barriers because of so many different reasons, and these barriers are erected between people. Perhaps the most obvious is racial, Jew or Gentile, Anglo-Saxon or Mongolian, red or yellow, black or white, Mexican or American. Yes, we make barriers. There are financial barriers that man erects, with privileges being based upon socioeconomic status. There are religious barriers that we erect, perhaps most obviously now with the suspicious eye cast toward all Muslims. We erect educational barriers, regional barriers, even occupational barriers. These barriers and more are all out there, and it is the way of the world. What I want to look at in this lesson is that in our eyes, and most certainly within the Lord's Church, No such barriers should exist. To that end, we will turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's begin by reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. There Paul wrote, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, 
excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We read about the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 18 and 19, as well as Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. In verse 11, Paul specifically addresses the Gentiles and calls upon them to remember their past condition, to recollect what it was like to live in sin. This call to remember is not meant to provoke sorrow or grief or self-loathing, but it is meant to help them appreciate all the more the greatness of God's grace, mercy, and love. Such meditation produces humility, penitence, gratitude, and love. I believe that one of the reasons that some find it so difficult to be faithful to God as they should be is that they forget where they came from and what condition they were truly in. In the first century, when many Jews saw a Gentile, they saw someone they believed was not equal to themselves. They designated them as the uncircumcision, meant to show contempt. In seeing a Gentile, one of the uncircumcision, they did not think of a human being loved by God. They thought instead of a pagan, a heathen, little more than an animal in nature, who was not worthy of concern, consideration, and certainly not affection. Quite frankly, the Gentiles resented the attitude of the Jews and in many respects looked down upon them. One needs only to read contemporary secular works of some of the Roman writers to see how distasteful any appointment to Palestine among the troublesome Jews was considered. In the days before their conversion, the Gentiles had been in a spiritual condition that was unacceptable to God. Paul mentioned five major conditions in which they had formerly lived. And the thing is, my friends, these five conditions are not any different from anyone before they become a Christian today. All are in the same condition before obeying the gospel of Christ, no matter who or what they are. They were Christless, having no connection with Christ. The Jews had at least had an messianic expectation. The Gentiles hadn't even had that. They were stateless, so to speak. A commonwealth is a community in which citizenship is offered. To be in the commonwealth is to enjoy all the privileges of citizenship, as well as to assume the obligations to abide by the laws and responsibilities of the commonwealth. Only through proselytization could a Gentile enjoy the privileges of the commonwealth of Israel, and even then, only partially. They were homeless, being strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no spiritual homeland. They were hopeless. In the scripture, hope involves not only the desire for some outcome, but the earnest expectation of receiving it, and that expectation must be based upon some justifiable evidence or promise. Even though God had promised that through Abraham's seed all nations of the earth would be blessed, the Gentiles did not know it. And finally, they were godless. That is the same word from which we get atheists. The real reason they were without hope was because they were without God. The heathen gods were no gods at all. Romans 1 described the Gentiles as refusing to have God in their knowledge. They had determined to turn their backs on the one true God. In the final analysis, how is that different from any non-Christian today? Now, 
Although all of these things were true of the Gentiles' former condition, their hopeless plight had been changed by Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ. They had been far away, now they were near because Jesus had offered his blood. The remedy for their former separation from God and from God's people was the blood of Christ. It is true for all today as well. I'm reminded of Peter's words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, where Peter wrote, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Going back to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read verses 14 through 17. There we find, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Now did you notice the word peace in those verses? He himself is our peace, and thus establishing peace, and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. There was no reason for the Jew and the Gentile to be separated anymore. There was no reason for animosity and hatred to exist anymore. Jesus had come to make both groups into one. You might have noticed in verse 14 that Jesus broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. The word barrier can also be translated as middle wall. A dividing wall is a fence, a hedge, a divider of some other sort. There's a really neat picture being painted here that we could miss if we do not examine it closely. Gentiles were allowed to enter the temple area in Jerusalem. There was a large paved area that surrounded the temple and its inner courts. The perimeter of this area measured almost three quarters of a mile. This outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. They could enter there, but not into the inner courts or the temple proper. A four and one half foot high barrier surrounding the inner court served as a dividing wall. As a matter of fact, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that 13 stone slabs written in both Greek and Latin stood at various intervals on that barrier, warning Gentiles not to enter. Archaeologists have discovered two of those tablets. They read as follows. No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and the palestrade surrounding the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. This was a serious barrier. However, in Christ, all barriers should fall, and all men can be brought together spiritually into one body. The truth is that the principles Paul is relating to the Jews and Gentiles here in Ephesians 2 are applicable to any condition in which Christians should find themselves inclined to discriminate in spiritual matters. The ethical demand of Scripture is that all who call themselves followers of Christ must rise above any and all prejudicial thought of exclusion or separation in the body of Christ. I want you to think very closely with me about verse 15. 
When Paul writes about the law of commandments contained in ordinances, he was writing about the law of Moses, which had been a source of enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles. Christ nailed that law, figuratively speaking, to the cross. His death allowed for the end of the Jewish system and the separation between Jew and Gentile. Now, taking away the law brought into existence a new man, one not marked by earthly boundaries or barriers. Think about that in terms of discrimination among Christians today for any reason. Jesus wasn't seeking to make all men Jews or all men Gentiles. He was not seeking to combine them into a mixed breed of men. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The Lord's purpose was to make a new man. I guess we could say that there had never been a man like Christ died to create. Look with me at Colossians 3:10 and 11. The passage says, And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And there it is. Christ died to make all men Christians. And being a Christian means that all of the physical barriers that we erect don't mean anything. They are not important. What is important is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what is inside of a man that counts with the Lord, and that is what should and must count with us. It doesn't matter who we are in terms of our societal status. It doesn't matter what we are in terms of our racial background. It doesn't matter if we are short, tall, fat, skinny, bald, unfortunate looking, or handsome. Because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can all have a harmonious relationship one with another, and even more importantly, with God. That good news is for everyone, Jew or Gentile. So now look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, because Paul continued on, and he wrote, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. My friends, because of what Jesus did, all now can be fellow citizens and in the household of God, and those fellow citizens and members of the household of God are the materials out of which his temple is now constructed. The foundation of God's temple is composed of the truths about Jesus taught by the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In ancient times, the cornerstone was the primary foundation stone set in the corner of the building. The architect fixed his standard for all other measurements of the building on this stone. There was not one single line or angle of the building that was not determined by and adjusted to the perfect symmetry of that stone. That is the way it is with Christ and the church. Christians find their true place and usefulness in relation to him. We find our rule and our order in him. 
No measurement of any item of faith or practice is true if it is not set by the standard of the authority revealed in his word. This is a continuous building program as the habitation of God on earth is constructed. The master builder will not reject a single stone that comes in humble obedience to his gospel, even if it be someone toward whom people would turn their noses up. I suppose that all of us, each and every one of us, could find someone somewhere who for some reason would look down on us and think they are better than we are. As living stones in the house of God, let us make certain that we are never guilty of that same type of thing. What condition are you in at this point in time? Are you as the Gentiles were, separated from God, lost and without hope? Well, through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can have that hope of eternal life by hearing God's word, believing that word, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Jesus as the Lord, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, coming out of those waters a new creature added to the church by the Lord. Thanks for listening.